Hey everyone, so as promised, we had an awesome response to the giveaway that we had been announcing the last few weeks. If you're just joining the podcast now, we gave away more than $6,000 of free courses, apparel, books, all of that. Now, originally we were gonna um, we were gonna shout out all the winners on the podcast, but some folks that signed up did not include their entire name. So I'd hate to butcher last names or what have you. But we did select over twenty winners. We're giving away over fifteen courses. Originally we were only gonna do ten, uh, but we had a lot more people enter than we thought. So if you won, you can expect to hear from my team in the next week or two. Uh, you'll get full access to the courses, or we'll be getting your address and sending your books or your momentous product or anything your way. Again, if you're just listening to the podcast, make sure that you guys are subscribed to the Art of Coaching newsletter. When we do giveaways, we announce live events. When we do discounts, anything like that, it's always gonna go through the newsletter first. So I know some of you are audiophiles, you love listening, you don't really like to read, and that's great. We're always gonna announce some of these things on the podcast, but for everything, kind of, it's a nice little wrap up, right? It shows what we're doing across the board on YouTube and everything else. It's all gonna be on that newsletter. So if you wanna go there and you're confused and you're like, hey, well, I don't really know where that is, it's a real simple one. I've put it in the show notes, couldn't be easier. Two, you can just go to artofcoaching.com backslash begin. So again, thank you for all of you who left a review for the podcast entered. You're getting $500 worth of free courses, each and every one of you, and over $6,000 in total was given away. That's enough for me. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode with my friend Pratik Patel. We have a unique history together. He has even more unique insight, and I'm probably going to get some blowback from one of the things we talked about, but that's the nature of the podcast, right? Uh, We want to talk about some things that, uh, you know, stir the pot intentionally, uh, but in a way that drives deeper discussion and isn't meant to be disrespectful. Sometimes, guys, it just is what it is. Keep your feedback coming. We have some great episodes on the way. Now let's get to critique. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. This is a special episode for me. I'm not going to tell you why just yet. We'll uh, we'll save the surprise of how uh, my guests and I know each other in a moment. But just to formally introduce you, my guest this week is Pratik Patel. Pratik is the Director of Performance Nutrition and an Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach for the New York Football Giants. Pratik, what is good? Man, oh, we just got back early this morning, got three hours of sleep, had the guys in for a quick lift, but I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Glad to be on your podcast. Love it. For those of you that may be listening to this uh, in the future, we are recording this on August 30th, 2019. So they're wrapping up the preseason in the NFL. And Pratik, you know, just, and everybody knows, like coaches love to use the word, oh, it's a grind, it's a grind. But, you know, give, give us something that's not cliche about like, what's your take on on the unique challenges the preseason provides, not just you as somebody that works in the NFL, as a member of support staff, but also the players. What's something 
something we may not know that things like hard knocks don't really show the average uh, the average person. What, what talk about your feelings of camp real quick before we dive in? Yeah, I mean, camp's such an important time for us because you know the offseason training program goes from April to June, but then the players get about five or six weeks off, and with that five or six weeks, you know, hopefully they're going to somebody like yourself who knows how to get them ready for the season. But some of these guys will end up very much enjoying their time off and not really staying in shape. So when we get them, we have no idea what they've been doing. We don't know if they've been accumulating any high-speed running, hit some you know decent distances, so they're ready to meet the demands of what our practices are. So for us, it's kind of like you know we got to stand back to a quick reevaluation and figure out, all right, what do we necessarily need to do on the spot to make sure they're prepared for practices. And then it's not like college where – you know, you go through the entire camp and then you have a first game. For us, it's we're you know, we can have two weeks in the camp and then we're at our first preseason game, which is actually a blessing in size for somebody like myself because we have a variety of new players on the team and we're just really starting to get used to who they are, what their quirks are, you know, how do they operate during practices on game day. So it gives us four opportunities to kind of see, you know, what exactly do we need to do and how do we fine tune things once we get into the regular season. I know you mentioned it's a grind, but yeah, that's just the requirements of the job whether it's college whether it's pro you know we're in early we're out late you know the players they're going through it as well and it's just an understanding of what needs to be done to get the team ready but a lot of people kind of look at preseason like oh these games don't matter you know and for us it's it, they really do matter because we have to find the 53 best guys on the team whether it's ones we currently have or those that our scouting department personnel department are looking at but also you know, getting a chance to to get used to our own, you know, habits and what we're going to end up doing for them in the season. And, you know, this could be the last time some of these players ever step out on a football field on a team or their only opportunity to play, play professional ball. So it's easy to say, yeah, these games don't really matter. But in essence, you know, they, they really do for a lot of our guys. And it's, it's their only opportunity. It's the only opportunity we get to see them play, you know, three quarters or a full game and get to see, you know, these guys have worked their whole lives to have this tiny sliver of an opportunity before they move on to something else because some of them might not get claimed with another team or they're just going to continue to work out so they get free agent tryouts. But yeah, you know, that's I mean, the way, you know, I kind of see preseason and approach it too. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, a, it's an ongoing assessment, isn't it? And I think that, you know, one thing that's often missed, and I, I think most people in the field know this, but there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are not in the performance field is this is a business as well, you know, and I think that gets passed over a lot, especially when you look at other coaches, it's, you know, the experts always out of town and it always fascinates me this time of year to see people online who want to criticize people in the team setting, oh, cause there's a pulled hamstring or there's this, or there's something else. And you know, a, a lot of times it's people outside of the walls that think they have all the answers, but you know, the reality is there's a lot of politics on, on the business side of pro sport too are there not like what role does that play in regards to you know guidance and leadership and 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 the buy-in element of things you know was that a surprise to you when you first got into the nfl of how you how much you had to navigate there as opposed to um you know all the nuances of sports nutrition and everything else yeah it, it definitely was something that didn't necessarily call me off guard or a surprise but since i hadn't experienced it before people were like all oh, the nfl is a business you know it's very political and, you know, you don't necessarily know it until you're actually in that situation and living it and seeing what's going on with, you know, our roster is a living document. You know, our GM is going to want to bring in 
the best players for position groups we have of need. So if it's not a guy we currently have, we're going to continue to bring in free agents. So that my first year, we would have free agent workouts like weekly. And I'm like, holy crap, these guys are here to take somebody else's job. And hopefully, you know, if, if they're good enough, then you know they'll be able to support and contribute to the team. If not, we'll continue to do this reevaluation process of every single one of the people on our roster. And it doesn't matter if you're a draft pick, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever it is, if you're a veteran or a second year player, everybody's getting evaluated. And obviously there are some in the league who pretty much say that, yeah, they've got a roster spot regardless, but you know, that is a part of the politics of it. And the same thing when dealing with veterans and, you know, how much do you practice them and how much do you, all right, we got to give them a vet day and this and that, you know, obviously you don't want to try to do that with at the college level because, you know, you have the kids for about four or five years, but here, you know, we have 16 opportunities to try to win a game and we need our vets ready for game day, not necessarily for practice, but we also want to make sure that we're not just favoring somebody just to favor them because then that can get skewed in the eyes of other players to say, why is this person getting preferential treatment? And then I can start acting that way too. Um, yeah, so you, the political you, part of the NFL is very much alive. And you answered that perfectly. I mean, as the director of performance nutrition and an assistant strength and conditioning coach, I mean, you're inundated in a lot of different research, right? And I think that we continue to fight this battle where, you know, we always have to have this stuff make sense to the players. And if you look at the research, adolescents are typically defined as people that are 10 to 24 years of age. And within adolescence, we know that, you know, the logical part of our brain isn't really fully developed. So the way we have to frame things up, right? You read complex research. Now you have to frame it up for essentially people that, you know, they tend to react a little bit more emotionally or viscerally to stuff. What are some tactics you use when you're trying to get an athlete to improve their diet, to make small changes? Like when it, when it comes to speaking their language, what's something that works really well for you, Teek? What are some things that, and tell us some things you failed about too, like failed on too. Cause there's, there's gonna be folks that inevitably like, <laughs> they they can hear all the tips they want, but they're more freaked out of failure than they are anything else. And that mm-hmm. almost sets them up for that uh, in general. Can you, can you talk about some of the challenges you face there and also strategies that have worked for you? Yeah, it, it really, since we have players of all different ages of all different um, levels, whether it's a rookie or whether it's a 14 year vet, kind of just understanding where this person at it in their career and where they're at mind frame wise and trying to just, get a handle of, you know, what is their knowledge base in terms of training, in terms of nutrition and recovery? Like, what are they currently doing? Is there anything that they could be doing to help them out and kind of approaching it from that aspect? You know, luckily I've been with the guys for three years now, so now I don't necessarily have to play the whole, all right, I'm going to start slowly and develop a port and be really buddy-buddy. That way you feel comfortable around me, and then I can try to, you know, provide some, you know, knowledge or recommendations based on what's going on with them you know some of these guys i'll just be straight up with them like you're not fucking doing it you need to do it because if you don't your chances of making this team are getting slimmer and slimmer as opposed to you know trying to get a new person in you know yeah we can give them an assessment form to try to get a little bit of a background but sometimes you know they're not going to be 100 percent honest so they're just going to circle things just to say it's done and hand it off to somebody else and then it'll end up on my desk but really just kind of seeing where this guy's at so sometimes you know, I know that obviously injuries and negative things that happen on the field or, you know, anything in their lives aren't necessarily what you want to see with your players. But sometimes I look at that as a blessing in disguise. So if somebody has an adverse effect in practice, whether, you know, they're low energy, they're cramping, or they just don't feel very well, they slept poorly, um, you know, the weight's not where it needs to be, body comp results are off, you know, hydration test isn't good. 
that allows me or gives me an in to say, hey, you know, let's look at this information really quickly, try to get some background data on it, ask them a couple questions, say, you know, I have some recommendations. What do you think? Do you want to try it out? And a lot of these guys at this level, in this age, stage of their careers, they're more willing to try things out because they know, like, hey, if, if, if it works and it helps me get better and keeps me on the field, then I'm going to try it because they understand that, yeah, this is my job. But sometimes that approach doesn't necessarily work with everybody. You know, we have guys that we just drafted or, you know, players that come from different teams and I'm trying to, you know, use some of the data we have or things that have happened to them that haven't gone their way as an in, but that doesn't work with everybody. So that means oh, I got to find a different way. Maybe I got to talk to uh, a higher profile player in that position group to say, say, hey, this is kind of the situation that's going on. I know you see it too. You know, would you mind talking to him for me? Because I know you buy into this stuff. Maybe you can, you know, use your powers of persuasion and be a little bit of a mentor in this aspect because, you know, looking at things from different perspectives and trying to not only myself attack the problem, maybe it's another strength coach that has a really good relationship with that person or somebody else in the building that has a really good relationship because, you know, I'm not going to have the best relationship with every single player on the team, but, you know, accumulatively as a strength staff or as a performance staff, all of us together can somehow find a way to talk to this person or that person. Um, like, you know, in the past, doing things like printing off sheets and putting it at their lockers or just texting them sometimes doesn't work because everybody's trying to give them a piece of paper. There's 30 people in the building that are trying to impose their own work agenda on these guys, and their minds are just you know, going 100 miles a minute with everything football-related and then everything on their phones and then their money situation and their house and family you know, and everything else that they have going on outside of work. It's just trying to find those appropriate times to say, all right, you know, this is what's going on. I think you can improve on this, this, and this. What do you say? Yeah. Just trying to go from there. It comes down to, I mean, they're like what you said here is there's a lot of influence factors that, that these guys are dealing with. And one of the most important determinants of managerial effectiveness, and I don't care if that means you're a coach or a director, you own a business, uh, you oversee a, a, a kitchen, you know, whatever, is being able to influence subordinates, peers, superiors, and other people in the workplace. I mean, that's been something that's talked about in organizational literature research since the 80s, 90s, and what have you. And so I, I think you did a really good job of explaining this. I just want to put a cap on it for the listeners is, you know, one thing we haven't talked about a lot on this podcast, but it's it's in one of my courses bought in, is the element of like how you can almost kind of periodize these influence attempts, right? You mentioned like get somebody that has a great relationship with that player if you're having a hard time getting through with them. That's 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 a coalition tactic. And there's all these different kinds of, most coaches are used to using what's called a rational persuasion tactic where it's like, hey, you know, essential amino acids are, are going to make a bigger difference than you supplementing to death with branch chain amino acids, which is something I want to ask you about. Um, you know, but people will try to give people stats and facts instead of trying to relate it and talk in color, you know, and just like we can lift weights at different speeds and different loads and different vectors and all that. The direction of influence can happen laterally, downward, upward. You have to influence a lot of people in an organization, which brings me to my next question. I talk a lot about buy-in, specifically with with athletes and some of my resources. But I also make it a point, or at least I try to make a point, that those same principles, principles of human behavior, persuasion, influence, organizational behavior, just human nature in general, apply to those you work with, too right? In different departments at different levels. That's what I meant by lateral, downward, upward, and what have you. Can you talk about that? Because we, it is, we, we do often say it's all about the athlete, 
but it's about other things going on within the organization too. Like these politics and, and people dynamics are way more complex. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I know it's something you have a lot of insight about. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I've been more wary of over the past five so years or so in my, my career. And as I've kind of progressed and learned a lot more things and, you know, adopted more of a growth mindset is that, you know, yeah, it isn't true. It's true. It's all about the athlete and, at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to have to perform and do well and win games with the coaches for us to keep our jobs. But at the same time, you have hundreds of people working in a building in different departments, and it's so easy for us to just get caught up in our own shit all the time, you know, from a strength and conditioning and nutrition perspective. It's all about, all right, what do I need to do for the players to get this done? You know, I, I'm, I've been in the league for three years, and I've been doing this for 10 years. I know exactly what to do. Uh, sometimes we forget that we work with all these other groups that have their own you know, goals and, you know, mission statements and agendas of what they want to try to accomplish. You know, it's, it's obviously about developing connections with the athletes, but also so much developing connections with all the other departments that we work with. And it's so easy, to, like I said, get caught up in our own shit and forget that, you know, other people are important too. And, you know, I wasn't hired to help us win games. I was hired to fill a niche and contribute positively to the performance team for an area that had been lacking for a while within the organization. And sometimes we just think we're so much more important than we really are. And that's the unfortunate circumstance. And the tough thing is the longer you are at a place or the longer you, you're in your own situation, it's easier to get caught up in feeling really comfortable. And it's easy to point the finger at somebody else and something doesn't go right. You know, and this, this kind of actually happened to me you know, at the last game. We just got back from New England. You know, a couple of things weren't going my way. I was getting really angry and started to get mad and started thinking about, well, it's this person's fault, that person's fault. And I'm like, wait, did I have I had these conversations with, you know, this group before? Have I made it clear? Like sometimes we just expect things to get done or we expect people to know things without actually reaching out and communicating with them. We spend so much time focusing on our athletes, not necessarily building bridges amongst each other instead of just staying in our own silos. That I think that that's a big thing that can continue to improve upon. And that's something I want to continue to improve upon myself too, is making sure that everybody's kind of on the same page. Cause, you know, you have so many groups in the building and there are a lot of groups I don't really know a lot about. And I see these people every day and I've been working with them 365 days a year the past you know, three years or so. And I think that that's such a, a missed opportunity. And it's, it's not, you know, you have to be buddy, buddy with everybody. You have to be best friends with, you know, the video guy, the equipment guy, whoever. But I think there's so many more opportunities for us to just sit down and, all right, here's the start of the week. What's going on in practice? All right, who's doing X, Y, and Z? All right, you know, when we travel, when needs X, Y, and Z. We'll go out to the field. Who's doing X, Y, and Z? Who's staying back? Who needs help? All right, what are the goals and successes? I mean, reevaluating that after the week. You know, yeah. At the end of every week, I do an evaluation of myself, but I don't, I share that with my boss, but sometimes, you know, if I knew what w went well with another group or what didn't go well with another group, I could say, hey, I could help out with that. Or somebody could say, hey, well, I could help you out with that. So I think that's an area that, you know, sometimes gets overlooked quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's something that even I, I struggle with trying to get the word out about, you know, it's I constantly I'll have coaches that will reach out and say, you know, what's your advice on this? What's your advice on that? And they never really ask the questions about these kinds of things, the interpersonal politics, right? Everybody grows up. Uh, it's kind of like everybody wants to grow up to be a pro athlete initially. And they don't really realize like, let's say a pro baseball player, right? They have no idea what that process is like. Those guys got to go through the farm league. They have to go, they, they don't make much money. It's not glamorous, right? Of course, there's certain guys that make the big bucks and, and that's great, but most people have no idea what goes into what they think they want. Same thing with people that want to get into team sport or pro sport or col col uh, collegiate sport at the high 
highest level is it is not just about all those other pieces, right? You've got to periodize for people as well. Um, and and it's it's what's ironic about it is it's it's a lot of what I'm doing my doctoral work at, but I'm also failing at it because uh, on like the, the Instagram and the social media level, because I realized that the mainstream is so detached from that. The mainstream just wants to know, hey, how do I make my shoulder quit hurting? Hey, how do I look ripped? Hey, how do I do this, right? Like they don't, they don't realize what they really need to know, but no matter what they go do, I don't care if you're going to be a firefighter, um, you're going to have to ask somebody to do a new task. You're going to have to ask an individual to do an existing task with higher quality. Somebody may ask you to change your policies or plans. Somebody's going to ask you to provide advice or help. Somebody's going to ask for approval to sign off on something. And if you don't know how to navigate the intricacies of these relationships, that's where the back channeling goes on. And, you know, like that stuff is pervasive at in any elite setting this is not just elite sport right in any elite setting there's always going to be back channeling politicking and you know in a field where like Pratik if you don't mind me asking how long initially was your contract when you first went to the NFL how long was your contract luckily it was for two years so you know you sign on for two and after every year the goal is to get another year extension so you actually have one kind of in the bank but unfortunately you know my first year 10 games in, there's rumblings of, you know, because we hadn't been doing well, we only won one game. You know, what's going to happen with the coaching staff? And then with four games left to go in the season, our GM and head coach will let go. So, you know, all of us as a strength staff are kind of sitting there for a couple months, like, we don't know what's going on because no one's told us anything because we don't have a new GM, we don't have a new head coach. We just, you know, kept our heads down and kept working and finished out the season and still we're in a state of limbo for a couple months after that. Right. And the only and the only reason I bring that up is you'd love to believe that your contract is going to get renewed based on how strong you are, right? Or like how, how much research you provi- or how, re- how much research you provided the players with, or, Hey, did you really bring in the best, um, uh, supplementation and nutrition support? You know, did you guys monitor uh, all the load correctly, you know, and all those things. But the reality is sometimes it's likability. Sometimes it's intangible. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's, well, what was perception? Did the performance staff or performance nutrition staff play nice with medical? Did the medical do this, right? Like, uh, sometimes it's those things. And more oftentimes, and not, you know, and so, you know, where do you think coaches need to go with this? I mean, you're at an, you're at a level that the vast majority of coaches that are going to listen to this, you know, are, are going to say, man, I really want that. Like, what is something that you think applies from the weight room to the boardroom of like what people need to know about that political dynamic and the role it plays and making sure like you keep your job and you get that, uh, you know, you're able to work effectively with most people. Does that make sense as a question? Yeah, yeah. I think the important thing is just understanding, you know, how are you, how are you essentially being evaluated? Because, you know, we kind of learned this with our new uh, head coach and GM last year. At the end of the year, the players get a chance to evaluate all of us. So, you know, we we're in a team meeting, look up at the board, and then, you know, our head coach is like, all right, I'm going to evaluate the coaching staff. The GM's going to evaluate the uh, head coach, the president, and owners are going to evaluate the GM and so on and so forth. And the players have their opportunity to, you know, go through each one of the different staffs on the bottom floor, which, you know, ends up being, you know, you know medical, nutrition, strength conditioning, performance, EQ, all that other stuff. So, you know, from a perspective of trying to figure that out is understanding, all right, well, who's doing the evaluating, you know, how much is it influenced by, you know, X, Y, and Z, the players, or is it from upper level management? And that way that gives you an opportunity to set your goals and what you hope to achieve over the course of the entire year. So then when you look back at it, you know, the evaluation can ring clear or not. 
And that sometimes people you know, keep doing their work, they do things without understanding why they're doing it or how they're going to get evaluated. And I think that's an important thing to understand because then, you know, based on what you put together with, you know, your year long goals and protocols of what you hope to achieve and what you're going to be evaluated on, that's how you work. So if you're, you're in the market for a raise and you said, well, I hit everything, I did it at the best level, but I also did X, Y, and Z, and I helped tie in these things with these other groups and you know, whoever's doing salaries or contracts for the next year, whether it's GM or assistant GM could say, all right, we saw that and that's the way to do it. But sometimes, you know, it's not always like that in every situation. You just work, work, work and not necessarily know what happens or how you're getting evaluated. But I think it's important to know that there's so, there should be somebody you should ask this question to and they should hopefully have an answer for you. That way you get a little bit more clarity and then also it gives you the opportunity to like say, hey, this is how I'm going to work instead of always bitching about, oh, so-and-so makes more than me. And like, well, why do they make more than you? Or why do they make less than you? You have you know, specific quotas you're trying to meet or, or your, you know, your goals that you set with your boss or your GM. Uh, I think you know, that, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, and, and you're right. You have to get an idea of how you're going to be evaluated because it's not always going to be what you think and what you agree on. I mean, we see this in athletics all the time. It wasn't that long ago that a ma- an athletic director from a major school got removed, even though the students were getting tremendous GPA and they, they had reached a tremendous average GPA. They had done a lot of great things on the academic side. Sports just weren't doing it. And, you know, like it, 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 the guy was given the boot. Then we had another guy uh, that, you know, sports were great, but all, all kinds of other academic issues given the boot. You know, you see that in uh, the, the corporate world all the time. A company might post great earnings for a certain quarter, uh, but they were really lacking in innovation. Somebody wanted greater product design, um, you know, and then somebody might come out with all kinds of products and the innovation's great. And maybe they even made money, uh, but there wasn't any long-term sustainability growth and they didn't secure their share in the marketplace. And I think, and I want you to check me on this because I am trying to always like check my bias in this space, but like how much do you think just a basic understanding of economics and business and things like that would help people in our field? Because it's something that most strength coaches don't get at all formally. I mean, it was a big reason why I made my course valued and brought in a financial advisor to talk, you know, about those kinds of things. I got advice from a lawyer of like what, what should be in the course so we could talk about contract negotiations, just kind of all this ugly stuff. And I think like, I I just think that it's something that I got business lessons way later in my career that I really wish I would have had at a younger age. Now, like devil's advocate, if I would have had that early on, maybe I wouldn't have focused as much as I did on the training backbone and all of that. And I'm really glad because I went down that rabbit hole deep and dirty early and that's all I cared about. But I still do think that like you have to have this foundation because otherwise what, Teak? It's like early specialization for coaches, right? We tell our athletes all the time to, oh, movement variability. Oh, make sure that you eat a, a, a colorful plate. Oh, make sure you do this. But then coaches get really siloed in their own development. I mean, maybe they go to a kettlebell workshop or maybe they go to like, uh, you know, a workshop that talks about mobility. But like how many coaches actually go uh, to a to a business-based workshop or a marketing thing or a psychology thing? Like, do you think that has a place? And feel free to call me batshit crazy on my own podcast. If it doesn't like it's a, it's good discussion. No, I think you just hit the nail right on the head, and I, I think it's something that's really going to help diversify you know the field, not only coaching but also the field of sports dietetics in general, because we get so fixated on just learning as much as we can within the field that you know, there's so many other pieces that come into play when working with athletes or being you know a director, 
you know, being a mentor or a leader to some of those younger coaches and younger dietitians in the field that, you know, there's only so much you can really learn from, you know, reading these textbooks and getting your certs to the point where, like, on the nutrition front, I haven't read a good nutrition book in years because it's all saying a lot of the same things. I will say, uh, recently I did read Peak by Mark Bubbs, and that brings in a lot more of, you know, progressive modern-day sports nutrition and application. And, you know, the same thing holds true with, you know, strength and conditioning. We're not just training and conditioning our players. We're dealing with, you know, the psychosocial aspects of it. We're dealing with the mental health, recovery, sleep, everything that goes with anything that has to do with being a human. You know, we're, we're trying to constantly sell ourselves to our players. So having an understanding of you know, behavior change, advertising, things of that nature, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in fields on both sides to say that, well, I haven't really gotten much out of going to these major general conferences because, you know, one, the information is kind of saying the same thing. The same thing, I've talked to athletic trainers that say the exact same thing, that they're just learning more about stuff they already know about and not different avenues that they can take and directly apply it to their work. So they're just going to these conferences to get their CEUs, which obviously you need to do and you should be doing, but is that the best way to to stay upon continuing it, just going to a conference signing your name, or are you actually diving into these deeper pools that you can actually pull from and apply them with your athletes? You know, I think it's, it's becoming more and more apparent that we're straying away from just the the expert to create more of these expert generalists. And I know um, David Epstein's book range, I don't know if you've read that or not. I just finished it a few weeks ago. David it's, Epstein. It's excellent because it's showing, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's showing how when you start looking at things from different points of view, you can actually solve problems or you can actually improve what you do within your work and come up with creative solutions and think outside the box and really improve your overall effectiveness as a worker instead of just hanging your lane thing and thinking in one single mindset. So I think that's, that's one thing that I've been fortunate enough to do in my career and why I guess, you know, my major professor at Kansas State said I had a meteor rise from you know being a grad assistant and grad teacher to ending up at the NFL with no specific mentors you know on the strength conditioning side or nutrition side is that I, I sought out a lot of different uh, work experiences and opportunities and try to make the most of them so I've done group teaching I've taught youth athletes I've you know conducted research studies I've taught at the collegiate level I've been a contract dietitian I've you know, how to work my way up from building a program with nothing, no resources, no money. Done that at a few different places to jumping in and being a director of, you know, one of the biggest programs at Oregon when I was there a few years ago, having to learn administrative tasks, hiring people, letting people go to developing interns, to learning about sports science performance, to working really closely with medical staff at one school. In my previous job, I worked really closely with the strength and conditioning staff. Now, you know, I have a job that encompasses all of that, and I wouldn't have been able to get it if I wouldn't have had those experiences. You know, so if I would have just stayed on this straight and narrow path of just focusing on nutrition and sports dietetics, then, you know, I don't think I'd be where I'm at now. Yeah, here's the thing I struggle with, man, because you're right. But <clears throat> here's the thing I struggle with, and not to go Joe Rogan on people and try to, like, seem like I'm being contentious, but I, I got to think of how to phrase this. I don't think our field, I think that even, it's so funny, right? Because we belabor the fact that we can't get certain people to change their behavior, whether it's an athlete or somebody else, but strength coaches are probably the worst at changing theirs. A while ago, when I started doing my online courses or talking more about this stuff, especially talking about the career stuff and valued, 
I, I had a good friend of mine and you know, it was Ron McKeefrey. Ron's like, listen, man, I love what you're doing. I just, I don't think that our field's going to change. And if, if it does change, it's going to take a long time. And I was like, you know what, man, you're probably right. Like I, I said it before on this podcast, I'm a firm believer that I'll either kind of turn into Jon Snow or John Wick. Cause I'm like, I try to do the right things by being like, yo, you guys got to like, you better pay attention to the business side and you better pay attention to the psychology side. But I feel like I'm either going to get like shot up or I feel like I'm going to get like banished. Um, but like, like, it's just, it's, it's really interesting because it's very clear that coaches in every sector are struggling to some degree. Um, young coaches listening to this may not be there yet. Cause they don't have to worry about shit other than lifting and like putting stuff in their crock pot. But like, there's not a lot of viability in our field, right? Like we, we say that the most important ability an athlete can have is availability. Well, the most important trait a coach and career track can have is viability. That It's literally Oxford Dictionary 2019, the ability to survive, work, and live successfully. But my point is, man, like, I, yeah, I've seen it now. Like we've launched the course two or three times and, and it's done well, uh, but we still get some people that are like, yeah, I feel like this is only for young strength coaches. I'm like, bro, have you gone through this? Um, the, the first part of the course talks completely about like how the old way is broken and you can't just rely on research and resumes. You got to learn the other shit. But the back half of the course is all about, you know, Ashley Jones, the guy that works in, in rugby, a tremendous coach, you know, is saying like, this is stuff that I continue to deal with because like no coaches really retire. No coaches really retire. If they do, it's forced retirement. Like, and then let, let's say, man, like I saw a coach the, uh, you know, the other day post something on social media, him and his wife went on a safari. They went on vacation. They were doing, you know, a bunch of awesome stuff. And somebody in the comment section is like, yo, shouldn't you be coaching? And it's like, it's crazy to me that we have that culture. You know, it's kind of like, but I don't know if coaches are ready for, like embracing the things that you're talking about, the things that I'm trying to talk about. I still see a culture that at the end of the day, if they have a choice between something that can give them an edge in their career, right, at any stage, or something that can teach them how to do a new programming method or a new periodization scheme or a new supplement or whatever, they're always, they're like, well, not always, because, you know, I hope, but they're more than likely always going to choose the other side. You know, like, do you... What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think it'll ever change? Like, do you think we'll ever take our own advice and kind of recognize our own narrow-mindedness and how we're kind of approaching this field and look at, like, because most coaches just think, oh, if I if I consider the business side, that's entrepreneurship and that's making money and that's pure. It's like, no, it's not, dude. It's just, it's it's periodizing your career. It's thinking about these things. And, like, the, the main point I'm getting at is I don't think coaches consider, like, oh, yeah, maybe this athlete's not listening to X, Y, and Z. Um, not because they're a pain in the ass, because of something else. I think you're completely right. And, you know, it's something we hope to see, you know, not only just from strength conditioning, but also, you know, on the nutrition side, because there's so much groupthink. And it's easy to jump in to the larger pool of thought, especially when it's coming from people that are highly regarded or they've been practicing for so long. But sometimes those people aren't necessarily the ones that everybody should be modeling their behavior and their careers after because, you know, what was done 10, 20, 30 years ago isn't going to be as effective as it is today, which becomes really dangerous when working with modern day athletes. And the same thing holds true when we're working with athletes in terms of nutrition, stuff that was once known or well thought out 20, 30 years ago doesn't really hold today because, you know, practical application is so much further ahead than science. So if you're waiting for science to validate, you're already going to be five to 10 years behind. Um, but you know, and you're, you're really right because 
Oh, go ahead, sir. No, I was going to say, keep going with the groupthink thing, because that's where I'm going next with this, is like, what examples of groupthink do you see in our field and that you think most people aren't aware of? But you're on a roll. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, groupthink can be just so dangerous, and you see it all the time. Like I said, not only FTC and nutrition as well, you know, there's, there's a lot of thought about how strength coaches should act, what they should wear, what they should dress, you know, the, the movements that should be done. You got to be the first person in, last person out. You know, you got to look a certain way. You got to have a shaved head, tuck in your shirt, whatever, be the strongest guy in the room. But that's not necessarily what's going to always connect with these modern day athletes. And the modern day athletes are the ones that you have to, to change their minds. And you're the ones that have to buy in along with the coaches and the staff members and everybody else that you're working with. So if you just stay fixed and one way of thinking and you know having the same dialogue and conversations and you're not going to be able to reach the people that you need to reach or change the minds of the kids that you need to change whether it's high school athlete college or professional athlete because i'll tell you i have guys on the team that are older than i am and they still act like fucking kids so you're still having to continue to mold the way that you talk to them the way that you know you coach them up the way that you show them how to do certain things you know on the nutrition side too it's so easy to say the same things that have been said for 5, 10, 15 years, like, oh, three to one ratio of carbohydrates to protein. You know, peanut butter is a good source of protein. Uh, chocolate milk this, chocolate milk that. And it's like, well, you know, you're kind of just throwing an umbrella that doesn't actually fit every single person because everybody's needs are so different. And it, it's sometimes, you know, when that group thing does start, everybody falls in line because they don't want to be the person that says what they're truly thinking or what they really feel is actually on their mind or in their hearts because. You know, nobody wants to look like the outcast because it's easy to fall in line with everybody else and just nod your head and say, yeah, you know, he's right. You know, you shouldn't be doing this with your athletes. Everybody should be doing bench squat, deadlift. All of our athletes should be doing snatches and cleans and X, Y, and Z because that's the way we've always done it. But when you look at it, there's so many different ways to, to skin a cat. The same thing on the nutrition side. I mean, there's so many different ways to put together a meal or set up a fueling station or, you know, do initial assessment with an athlete that you can't just stick to one certain way the way that we have so many different athletes you know you wrote about it in conscious coaching there's so many different types of athletes and not every athlete's going to respond specifically to your one way of coaching so you have to mold it and change it up and one athlete's not going to respond to the programming that you're doing for them whether they just have a movement dysfunction or they can't do it or you know, there's something else going on and you need to just alter it or they're in a prior history of injury, anything like that. So that's something that, you know, we try to do here is we've got a million different ways to get one thing done, but not one thing to do for everybody. There's a lot to digest in this episode so far. I think you guys would agree. And one of the things that makes this podcast unique, hopefully, is the fact that I encourage you guys to stop periodically, make sure you're hitting pause, take notes, or find five different ways you can apply something that somebody's told you in this podcast. So during this break, I also want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor, as always, Momentus. Momentus is a big reason why I'm able to give you guys uh, a lot of the free content that I try to give you, whether it's on this podcast, whether it's in different articles I share or anything else. And we try to make sure that we highlight not just who they are and what they do, but also what they have. Because I know you guys are busy. You don't always have the time to be able to look these things up, especially if you're driving. So we're going to talk about three main products Momentus offers just real quick. One is their standard way. And this is what's called Absolute Zero. Now, it's grass-fed whey isolate. It includes prohydrolase enzymes to help digestion. It's one of the things that right in the morning, it's, it's what I'm going to tend to take. 
Uh, then they have arc fire. And this is meant to be the recovery after strength or intense workouts. This is also grass-fed whey isolate, a little bit of rice maltodextrin, D-ribose, uh, creatine monohydrate, and includes L-glutamine, and then also the Prohydrolase enzyme blend, which again, if you're somebody that typically has trouble digesting whey or any kind of issue with dairy in general, this really makes this a non-event. I know this because my wife and my father have both had issues digesting some form of dairy or whey in the past, and both are able to use this without any issue, as are many of my athletes the majority of which forget to eat breakfast the half the time. And this is something that we work on constantly, just getting them to eat real food. But I always make sure that I have some sample facts, uh, packs of Momentus with me so that I can get something in their system, whether it's that and a banana or anything else before we train. And then finally is Redshift. Now, Redshift is really about recovery after endurance workouts. And we'll do separate profiles on this in future episodes. This is grass-fed whey isolate, rice maltodextrin, D-ribose, potassium citrate, and also the enzyme blend. Now, the point here is no matter what you're looking for, no matter what your goals are, it's just a matter of finding which combination of these and the timing of these is going to work best for you. But remember, they are all NSF for sport approved. They're all informed choice approved. Guys, it's the only company I've ever gotten behind, you know, publicly in, in this way, because it's the only one that I've ever been able to put my full weight of endorsement behind. I, you know, I, I'm not a big product guy. I'm not a big supplement guy. I try to just encourage like, hey, are you, are you eating? Are you hydrating? Are you sleeping? But even with my schedule and as much as I travel, I realize that we all do need support of some kind. I think Momentus does an excellent job of that in an ethical, high-quality way. So uh, if, if you meet any of their team, make sure to thank them. Make sure to at least learn more about them. And now we're going to get back to the episode. No, and it's always going to be an ongoing shit show. I mean, like, I, I, I always, I tell my wife, I tell her, I go, <laughs> you know, it's so funny, like, people get so concerned with the group think say, thing of even, like, trying to find the answer, right? And like, it's such a weird pattern. It's like, okay, I'm looking for something new. Oh, this seems new. Okay. Let me go all in on this thing. And then they'll go and they'll go and they'll go and they'll realize it doesn't solve all their problems. And then it's like rinse, wash and repeat. And like, there is no one answer. Like, it's funny, man. I like, I'm convinced I, so getting back to that, I told Liz, I go watch, I go, I guarantee you if I would have taken a job in pro sport, had an opportunity a couple of years ago, if I did that, there were certain people, and I'm sure there still would be, let's say I took a job in, in pro sport or whatever tomorrow, and let's say the team had a losing season, there would be people that would chomp at the bit to be like, oh, Mr. Conscious Coaching looks like the buy-in didn't work, so many pulled hamstrings, didn't win a Super Bowl, it's like, yo, if you're like, if you think that there's like one magic thing, right, like, if you think that like all of a sudden you could whether it's, whether it's that side of it or that you could hire some track superstar to teach all your guys speed and you're never going to have hamstring issues or that you could hire the foremost medical guy or, or like, haven't we been through this, right? Like the group think thing you think would be washed out. Like we, we, people went all in on sports science. Has that solved all of our problems? No. Does it help? For sure. You know, people, have gone, people just keep going all in on shit and it's like, yo, Going back to the business example, this is the stock market, guys. Are you just going to buy like the hottest stock right now? Are you going to invest all in on the IPO? 
Hell no. You're going to invest in a wide variety of shit and you're going to know that there's going to be ebbs and flows with the market. And what makes you good as a coach is your ability to adapt, not your ability to sit there and just go down the one rabbit hole that you think is going to make the latest and greatest difference. But like, you're right, man. Like there's so much groupthink, and there's so many people that want so many other people to fail. And there's so many other people that just want to say that they were right. And it's like, no, you got to admit we are, in a, we are in a field that is an art guided by science. It requires constant tweaking. You're never going to be right. Um, and you mentioned a great, if guys, if you're not following Pratik on Twitter, you've got to. Um, in April, you had a great tweet. It was like how we learn. Someone tells us and we know what to expect, right? Um, we make a decision and go with it and end up getting the outcome desired, which can be a little bit of luck, as you mentioned. Or we make a somewhat uneducated attempt with no prior experience, fail, but learn. So you're either taught formally, you have a little bit of luck, or you experience growth through failure, which you said, number three, and I agree, is by far the most impactful. So my question is this, after that huge rant, what is it going to take? What's the tipping point for coaches to like evolve and realize, oh shit, like I do need to start like looking at other stuff. I do need to break away from the herd. I do need to, not just so I can say I'm different, but because I realize that we too require a diverse skill set outside of this specific domain. What's the tipping point? What will it take? When will it happen? Cool. Just guess. I can give you my, yeah. Give me Nostradamus here. Go (laughs) Nostradamus. It's going to be so different for everybody because people won't change until something drastic happens or, you know, they continually don't get the desired effect. So if a coach is coaching one way, he thinks, you know, at the high school level or collegiate level at a smaller school and wants to make it to the next step and doesn't have a ton of contacts but knows a few other position coaches or head coaches in the game but is constantly, you know, fixed mindset type person, likes to do the same things over and over again and sees whether it's their own staff members or colleagues with the same level of experience getting uh, continuing to grow and getting better jobs. I mean, that's hopefully going to be one thing that's going to open up the mind of you know that coach or you know that coach continues on with the same path of what they're doing and they get a new group of athletes for one year and all of a sudden you know there's not that much improvement and everybody else is improving except for the teams that this coach is coaching and the head coach is pissed off the ad's like what's going on or there's a ton of injuries or something happens like that it's the same thing that happens with you know people every day in america nobody really does anything to fix it until something happens you know we say that rings true about our health, you know, nobody starts to eat well, tries to get more rest, breathe correctly, you know, eat fruits and vegetables. And so, oh shit, you went to the doctor, you had a checkup. Yeah, your cholesterol levels are through the roof. You're borderline uh, hypertensive, you're pre-diabetic. So now you want to start making choices. And some, some might not even make any decisions upon changing their behaviors and lifestyle factors even then. And so something else happens, it could be the heart attack. And like and now they want to start making changes, but they want the quick fix. So they start popping, you know, cholesterol blocking drugs like Libertor or you know hypertensive drugs. It, it, it's tough to say, and you know you hope it would happen sooner than later. But I guess devil's advocate point to that is that those coaches that actually do realize this and make those conscious changes and continue to grow are going to be the ones that continue to progress in their career, and those that don't make those changes that keep doing the same things over and over again, get stuck in the same rut. So that's going to really separate those that are trying to grow and get better than those that aren't. And that's just the way of life. You know, 
fortune favors the bold. And that's kind of what we want with our players, with our staff, with everybody that we work with, our coworkers. And we want to be around the people that want to continue to get better, that are going to make us better. And those, those that aren't are going to hopefully fall by the wayside. And we don't have to deal with them. So that's really going to show who is who, who's worth what, and those that aren't. So we can't have everybody doing, you know, the right things at the right time every single day in every single field, because then, you know, how do you separate yourself? Right. So just to bring a counterpoint to you, it's like, yeah, I'd, I'd rather continue to do what I'm doing, continue to grow and let everybody else, you know, be who they want to be. If they don't want to change the fuck, tough on them. I'm going to continue to make money and I'm going to continue to grow the field and be, you know, mentor to everybody I can, you know, get my hands on and talk to. And if they don't want to do that, then that's on them. Yeah, man. The, the issue with that though is, you know, and you're, and you're right. A lot of it goes into, you know, fortune favors the bold. Um, it definitely doesn't favor the prideful over the long term. But the only issue with that is there's a lot of people in our field that are heavily influenced by people that have what it's called positional power, right? Like, so there are a lot of people that have roles in elite level sport like yourself, although this example doesn't, uh, uh, you're not included in this example. There are people that are head this director that, that, you know, still are very much a part of that whole old mindset of like, nah, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I'm not going to take the time to do this. I'm not going to do this. I, you know, I, I've talked about it on previous podcasts. I met one guy that it was almost like you would have thought that he was saying that he cured cancer by talking about how much pride he had that he didn't do podcasts and didn't speak at clinics. I mean, man, going back to the roots, and I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but, you know, that's uh, the... I got a podcast and I'm going to say, cause I'm honest. I remember going back to Kansas state, like you and I both uh, went to Kansas state, just guys that are listening. Pratik and I actually were in the same fraternity together. Yeah. 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 Laugh it up at Kansas state. <laughs> That's how we know each other. That's the Easter egg. If you were continuing to listen and we were both be able to go back as uh, you know, it was just, I don't know. It was a huge honor, man. And, and congratulations for you doing it, but getting the alumni award. And I remember like, when I got it, like, too, like, it was one of the most meaningful, still is, one of the most meaningful days of my life because Kansas State was just a really special place, right? Um, and if you guys haven't listened to the episode, yeah, yeah, it was just a unique place. And and I we've talked about it, like, we do whatever we could for that university and, and the people in it. But I remember going back, and I got to see our mutual friend, Scott Troush, and I got to meet their athletic director. And, you know, they were just like, hey, would you chat with the staff a little bit? I straight up got big-timed by their head strength and conditioning coach. I looked around, and their whole staff was there, nice as could be, awesome guys. We had a great discussion, and I didn't even really know I was going to be talking to them. It was totally impromptu, um, but I was like, hey, where's coach so-and-so? And they're like, you know, they were pretty tight-lipped about it, which they, you know, I'm, I'm sure they didn't know. But at the end of the day, like, just the guy had no desire whatsoever. Did Like, I, I reached out to him after, like, just no desire. And there are coaches like that. And I'm sure he had a great excuse. I'm sure there was something going on probably with his family and whatever. But, like, that's just not how – I was raised and that's not how I think leaders in the field need to be. That's just the reality, you know, and this will no doubt stir up a lot of shit, but I think sometimes people in positions like that need to be called out. Cause I don't think it's a virtue when you're in a position to meet or mentor folks in a different generation uh, or folks that are trying to do something helpful or folks that are trying to learn or folks that would even pay for your time. I don't think that is a virtue for you to insulate yourself and I think there's a lot of self-importance in our field. That's where I'm getting at. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that, and I hear it all the time, 
oh, I don't do this because I'm too busy. I'm doing that. Like, what are we, brain surgeons? Is somebody creating Neuralink? Because I'm pretty sure Elon Musk runs Tesla, SpaceX. He's doing Neuralink. He does God knows what else. And you can't keep the dude off social media. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that everybody needs to be like that. But, like, I just find it hilarious when our field, like, thinks it's a virtue to insulate itself as opposed to mentoring. And I think that's my answer on, like, I don't think this shit will get any better until we have people in positions that all these other coaches look up to. Cause whether you like it or not, Teague, like more people are going to listen to your episode because you're involved with the New York football giants in the NFL, right? Like that's just the truth. Like, there, there's a lot of people that if you just coached at a high school, even though like high school, we need more high school strength coaches. It's such an awesome role. People get really, Oh, it's the shield. And I just think more, I think more older coaches like that have to be not called out. That's not the term. Cause I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm trying to be convicting. Like just get over your shit. Cause you have a generation of people that want to learn from you. I probably cost myself, uh, we're, we're going to get in trouble for this one, but uh, fuck it, man. Like, that's just the rea- the reality. You have a responsibility as a mentor. Any thoughts? No, I, I 100% agree. And the funny thing is, I think when I went back to grad school at Kansas State, I was a graduate teacher. By that time, I was a dietitian who was really trying to get my foot in the door to learn more about sports nutrition. I reached out to a few coaches at Kansas State, and... Um, one of them got back to me, one of them didn't, and the one that didn't, I think, is the same person you're talking about, which I think is kind of funny, because, you know, uh, and I, I understood why, but at the same time, I was, you know, willing to volunteer my time for free, because at that time, K-State didn't have anybody, right? and I was willing to do anything, you know, as, as you get older and age in your career, your desire to be as you know, spontaneous and willing to do any and everything continues to decrease because that's just how it is. But I would have ran through a brick wall and done anything, worked 10 hours a day, scrubbed toilets, whatever that person wanted me to, but I didn't necessarily get the response back. And now sitting here thinking of it, you know, how I've been able to progress my career, you know, I'm, I'm with you. You know, if we want to see change in the field, both fields, whether it's strength conditioning or nutrition, we have to be open and willing to, you know, sit down with, you know, potential interns, students, volunteers, young coaches, dietitians, whoever, because we can't continue to bitching about the same, same things without having a solution to it. It's, you know, the John Gordon's no complaining rule. We can't continue to complain about shit if you don't bring a solution to the table. Now, if you bring solutions to the table and nobody's willing to buy in, then, you know, keep complaining, but also keep bringing your solutions to the table. So I'm, I've been more than willing to talk to anybody, whether it's through LinkedIn, phone call. And at the same time, if you are reaching out to an experienced coach, or an experienced dietitian or an experienced athletic trainer, kind of bring something to the table, have questions. Don't just show up to say, Hey, this is who I am. Are you going to show me around and not have anything to ask? Because yeah, our time is valuable. You know, we're willing to spend a little bit of time with you knowing that we've got 30 other things to do on our to-do list every single day, whether it's, you know, regular tasks or gain tasks, what have you. But at the same time, you know, be a really good, I guess, interviewer interviewee no you're, you're saying it right just lead with lead with value yeah. lead with value like think about value yeah, lead with value yeah and like if you guys guys go back to the brianna battles episode i think it's episode six brianna talks about the same thing and teak makes an excellent point you know and i'll i'll play devil's advocate to the point i even made earlier or the one you made you know there somebody could easily say oh yeah well easy for you to say make time for people you charge people for your time well 
yeah, beyond a point, you know, but I also am on the board for a nonprofit. I also put tons of information online for free. I also put tons of free down, like uh, I, I do this podcast, I do this, or right? So like beyond a certain point with a wife and a family and a business with two employees and a kid, yeah, hell yeah, I'm gonna charge for my time. Just like, you know, and I always think that's funny. Like the, the private sector gets called out for that. Well, shit, like who do you think's paying those po- folks in the team roles? Somebody's always paying for your time. It just comes from different pockets, but that's just respectful, right? Like I can't reach out to my lawyer and be like, hey, can you um, look over this 16-week program and tell me if it's liability proof? That dude's gonna send me an invoice for 300 bucks. So Brianna makes a great point, you did too. Lead with value if you're reaching out, you know, for mentorship or, you know, sometimes you're gonna have to pay or help promote something. Like I always did that. Like Dan John was somebody I looked up to tremendously as a young coach. I'd share anything about his book and this, and that. And I hope Dan John made a killing off of it. There's no way he did because I didn't have any following at the time. But like, I love, you know, there's certain, and this is another thing you and I share, Teak. We love music, right? Like, how do you think these artists get paid? Because people share and promote their music because they provide value. If it's shit music, nobody shares it, right? And so, and that's a whole nother podcast, man. I'm about to do one. We might have to bring you back on for it. I actually think the, I'm up for it. I actually think the strength, the performance industry is the music industry. And I got a whole theory on that, but like, um, it's just interesting. Like what was some ways, can you give people just some tactical examples? Cause we get this question a lot. Let's say you're back in that situation again, right? Like you're young Teak, you're reaching out to somebody and let's just say you want some advice, right? What are a couple ways you'd frame up your email or what are your couple ways? Actually, let's redo this where are you not reaching out to them, right? Like, cause I'm saying, and I want to make this clear. I tell people like, don't reach out to me via DM. One, it's, if you're reaching out for me the first time, like I very rarely see all my DMs. I certainly don't always get back to them. And when you're trying to make a great first impression, it's not an awesome way to make a formal introduction, right? Like, especially if you're like, hey bro, can you send me a program? So (laughs) what are some hard do's or don'ts for anybody reaching out to a mentor, what's something you believe in? All right, I'll start with the don'ts because I'm, I'm usually the type of person who will actually at least respond back, whether it's through email or you hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, don't spell my name incorrectly. That's just, I know it's, it's unique and it's not of the norm, but my name is pretty much littered everywhere. If you Google me, you'll be able to see my ugly mugshot with the Giants polo on. Uh, but I'm not a doctor, by the way. I'm a Patel, but you know, I'm one of the three non-Indian Dr. Patels in the world. So I would say, you know, that's just a good start. Uh, second, don't start your question or your correspondence with, hey, I have a question. I, I legitimately just got that four times in the past like two weeks. This person reached out to me. These people reached out to me on LinkedIn, message lines, I have a question. I'm like, what? No, I'm not, I'm not going to respond to that. I don't know who you are. Another thing is, it, it depends on what social media platform you're using, but I'm not really active on Instagram. I have an Instagram account. I post stuff randomly. I know you're bigger on Instagram than Twitter. I'm more active on LinkedIn and Twitter. So if you DM me on Instagram, I might not even see it because it doesn't pop up normally. Uh, The next is don't ask for work experiences or if I have a job opening. Like one is I don't control that. Like that's obviously the goal is to continue to progress this performance nutrition department. You know, I'm an assistant strength coach working under Coach Woman. We've got our strength staff set the only thing we hire for are you know strength interns every year but i don't have positions open so don't just reach out to me say hey do you have a position open especially if you have no experience in the field another thing is if you 
reach out to someone or myself and I tell you, hey, I don't have any uh, positions open. I can't give you any work, but I'd be more than happy to talk about the field with you. Take that offer up. You don't know how many times people just don't respond back to me because I tell them I don't have a job for you. And then they get butt hurt and then they look to respond to the next, you know, strength conditioning coach or dietitian or whoever. Like, there aren't many people in the world that run a dual role like I do. You know, there's three domestically that I know of and they're doing it at a really high level. So there's a lot of range that I can teach you about because I've pretty much encountered almost any and everything that you can find in sports nutrition over the past 10 years. And obviously it's a young field, but it's continuing to grow. I'm not continuing to learn too, but I have a lot of insights I can provide you. But on the flip side, do, you know, be courteous, be respectful, kind of, you know, research the background of the team I'm with or the teams that I've worked with and the experiences that I've had. That way I can actually tell like you're not cold calling me or contacting me and 30 other dietitians or strength coaches just trying to get some quick information or a job because then you actually know you're reaching out to somebody who, you know, has specific experiences and you find them valuable. You know, because that happens quite a bit because I'll have, you know, other colleagues text me and say, Hey, did this person reach out to you? I said, yeah. Did they send you this message? Yeah. Right, great. This, this person's just throwing out fucking darts on the dartboard trying to see if something sticks. Um, you know, do have a specific set of questions if, you know, I, myself, or somebody else respond back to you instead of just trying to have a bland dialogue because, you know, there's a million things in our minds, there's a million different emails to go through, and the last thing on our mind is trying to respond back in this back-and-forth conversation through LinkedIn or through Twitter with, you know, an intern or a student. Yeah. Uh, and again, yeah. Keep, no, keep going, by all means. Yeah. And I mean, that's all I really have, but to kind of go back to what you had spoken about in terms of um, people asking for your time. And I think, you know, early in my career, and a lot of us have done a lot of free volunteer work, intern work where we're not paid to where, you know, might take, five, 10, 15 years to really feel comfortable about asking people, you know, if, if they want information from us and we provide it to them and say, yeah, you know, I'm going to charge you. Or if you do, it's going to cost this amount. And I think, you know, years ago, I would have felt very awkward about doing that. But now because, you know, I have an organization that pays me, I have responsibility to that. If, you know, there's something that I need to do for a presentation or for a webinar or this and that, you know, way earlier in my career, it could have been just used as a resume builder. But now, you know, looking back, you know, those other things that I had done in the past, I probably should have asked for payment because, you know, if, if I'm bringing something to the table, I'm doing the research, I'm spending the time putting it together, making it look good, sound good. And then the people that have asked me to do it are very happy about it. They should be willing to pay and want to pay. So any young strength coach, any young dietitian, whoever is out there, if somebody asks you for something and you're going to have to put your expertise and time into it and not just print out something from the internet, don't feel bad about asking me to pay. Like Brett said, if, you know, I go to my dentist and say, Hey, can you just look at my teeth? Give me a little quick checkup and not expect to pay them. And then not expect to get money back. That's ridiculous. Same with any other field. So we should value what we do. It doesn't matter what side you're on coaching, dietetics, performance, because it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of time, effort, money, struggles to do what we do, to get the experiences that we do, to just give it away for free, especially if you're established, is kind of a slap in your own face, not the face of the field. But why would you want to sell yourself short? Yeah, 
No, I'd say this too. On the other end of it, yeah, don't don't be afraid to be the bad guy. You know, I, I think Eric Cressy's brought up some good points about this in the past about trip wires he puts into his intern application process that basically will, you know, a bunch of people will apply, but if they don't send, and I'm oversimplifying this. So you'll have to, you guys reach out to Eric on all this, but, um, you know, essentially there's, there's many different trip wires, but one of the biggest ones is everything needs to be submitted in one PDF. And if it's not like that's right there, like you're not paying attention to detail. And like, I, I've, this is the advice I would have given myself even two years ago. Cause I'm a people pleaser. Um, certain people reach out and it's just like, I can tell they're not ready to be mentored yet. Cause like you said, they don't even spell your name right or they don't do this. And it's not, that's not like a pride thing. Somebody's like, Oh, I saw this on Twitter one time. Somebody had said something and they were like, Oh, you're worried about your name being spelled right. It's like, yeah, man, you know what? That's being a professional. That's called being a, like, just do your due diligence, you know, and, and do those things because the small things matter. But most importantly, Somebody, uh, you know, they reached out and it was like they d- they demanded a bunch of these things and uh, they had their shirt off and a profile photo and their their <laughs> you know their social media had a lot of just really interesting like stuff that was you could tell they were just trying to be controversial. It's like hey, you're not like you're not ready for this yet. And again, I always try to be aware of the devil's advocate. If somebody could be like, well, that person might need the proper guidance and that. But yeah, but they, at least I got to do one thing right. I don't, you know, it's one thing if you spell the name wrong and I can tell you're trying and you're from Cambodia and, you know, it looks like you're doing your best to, to train people with minimal resources and I can look at your stuff and that like you can, it's, it's certain things are just like, do they pass the shit tests, right? Like, and I think sometimes you just have to be like, you know, I asked one guy, he's like, hey, can I come shadow you? Can I come do this? And I require them to sign non-disclosure agreements if they want to come watch some of the pro athletes. It's not for me. I'm not worried about what, you know, what they're going to divulge there. But like I've had, I had a bad experience once where a guy came, took a ton of photos of my athletes, put them on the internet, things like that. And so I don't mess around with that anymore. So I'm like, listen, man, if you're, you're willing to come, you need to follow these rules. This is time for the athletes. This is not about you. You're not to make it look like you're the one training them, doing this stuff, doing that stuff. You just have to, you have to put up some barriers. And I, I talked about it once too. Like I'll, I'll ask people to send resume, this, that, whatever, if they're looking to get hired, but they're also going to have to pass an interview and they're going to have to do some kind of improv based thing to just kind of see, you know, how, how do they deal with certain circumstances? So these things aren't things that I do all the time. I mean, I've had, I had four or five people come shadow me, uh, this off season. None of them had to sign any of that or whatever, but like they have to, they have to pass certain things and they came as recommendations from friends who vouch for their professionalism. But sometimes you just got to say like, no, nah, man, you know, or the last one I'll say is somebody came out once and then they wanted to ask 20 different questions about my philosophy. And I think this is just where I'm different. And again, I'm, I'm fine being an asshole here. If I was going to go intern under you, right, Teak, I would be very familiar with anything that you've written. I would listen to your podcast. I would do a lot of that, you know? And so I just, I suggest, I say, Hey man, one thing that might help as if you read the book, um, you know, anything like that, just cause it'll, it'll give you a lot of context of why I do things the way I do. If you can't read the book, no problem. I got a YouTube channel. We got some videos that spell things out there. And some guys like, so wait, I have to do all this just to come shadow. I'm like, no, you don't have to do all of it, but I'd recommend that. Yeah. If you're reaching out to me for a reason, I would imagine you'd want to be familiar with kind of what's going on. Um, so anyway, I just think people have to be, they can't be afraid to be the bad guy and even turn some people down. There's times a year where it's like, no, this isn't a good time. I'm traveling a lot. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Like reach out to me here. I'll be happy to help wherever I can, but I can't take that right now. So I think you brought up some great points, man. Like, so what's next? 
kind of what's next for you? Where are you looking to grow uh, this year? What are some things you mentioned? You evaluate yourself a lot, critique in, in different ways, like whether just uh, on the, the technical side or the social side. When you rip yourself apart, when you critique, critique, <laughs> what, what, what are you looking at? <laughs> critique, critique, say that five times fast. Yeah, trademark. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, it's obviously with, with the two different hats, so the nutrition side and strength and conditioning side, and, you know, I work with a lot of really good strength coaches that have a lot of experience. So what I try to do is observe as much as possible and emulate a lot of what they do because, again, I don't have the 20 years that, you know, our head strength coach does, but I want to continue to progress in that avenue to make sure we're doing the best or I'm doing the best we can for our athletes. So it's just it's subtle things of, you know, how do I approach each one of our training sessions and what are my responsibilities for that training session? What group do I have? Do I make sure I know every single one of the players that are coming in? I know the ins and outs of their workout, any adjustments or changes that workout that they've been going through. You know, what's the injury list look like? Because obviously there are going to be some alterations based on that. You know, instead of just getting caught sometimes just standing and nodding and say, oh yeah, great job, you know, good job on that set. Trying to be a little bit more hands-on with the athletes and explain like this is good about that. I want you to work on this for the next one instead of just saying that was a good red thumbs up. So sometimes the athletes are like, well, I don't know what you meant by that. But also not being afraid to, you know, stop a player if they're doing something wrong or being more forceful with them because, you know, we have a lot of different personalities under one roof and, you know, one athlete's not going to take coaching cues the same way another one is and just making sure that I'm on top of that. So it's, it's a constant evaluation, reevaluation process with the strength and conditioning side on the nutrition side. It's just making sure that I'm on top of any and everything that we have going on. So, you know, I'm, I don't want to be the last person to know something about a change in the schedule or a change into something going on with the roster or anything like that. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's more fine tuning things and being, like I said, on, on top of everything that's going on. Uh, you spelled that out perfectly. No, yeah, just continuing to sharpen yeah. that and make sure that you continually uh, reflect on anything you're doing. And it, it sounds like you have a process to your self-awareness at least, right? You're not just throwing darts at a board. Um, you're somebody that I've always known has exposed yourself to new things and thought critically about them. I mean, man, like we went down the rabbit hole sometimes on the dumbest subjects, like even on like a song or a rap artist lyrics in college, you know, you and I are both hip hop fans and things like that. So I think the main thing that I want people to take away from you though, is how reflective you are and you're purposeful about it. And I think another area I connect with you, man, is I, I think you never like breathe in your own smoke. Like I am constantly unimpressed with my work. I say that all the time. I can't even listen to my own podcast half the time. You know, I just can't like I there, cause there's always some shit that I pick apart and it's just like, ugh, you know, um, and I think that that's one thing that has always made me kind of, uh, you know, respect you is you're the same way, man. Like you just never, you've never let that grasp you. I think both of us are fine being like, yep. Uh, oh, you heard that interview? Yeah, we were wrong about two thirds of that. But you know what? At least we have the discussion. And I think that's the thing that separates it. Like if I had to encompass what this whole talk was about, it's like have the discussion. Be willing to say something controversial that you believe in strongly. And if it's not right, you know, like that's that's okay. Like at least you're expressing something and you're thought about it and you're not just holding that shit in all the time because sometimes, man, it's it's the stuff that you or I think is trash that hits somebody else's ears at a time where they need it the most. 
And that's what I appreciate about you for what that's worth. No, you hit the nail right on the head. You know, I just gave a webinar a few months ago and, you know, the group that I gave it for thought it was really good. It's probably one of the better ones that's happened. And then over the course of it, after it was done, I'm like, man, I sounded like a fucking idiot. And there are so many things I would have said differently, but I think that's just the constant evaluation process that we're never going to be happy with the work we do, even though it's perceived to be good. And that's just always going to keep us in the game because we're always going to want to constantly get better, evaluate ourselves, not, you know, pat ourselves on the back, but also not just drive ourselves into the ground and finding that fine line between always wanting to improve. Yeah, spot on. So, Tiki, if people want it, you mentioned that you're really active on Twitter. Um, I know you got a lot going on, and it, it can be hard uh, to get back to people. But as we wrap up, man, can you provide us with some of the links or the best ways to contact you? And as always, everybody, these will be in the show notes. Uh, but I strongly suggest that you reach out to Pratik. Pratik, fire away, man. Where can we reach you? Yeah, so my, my Twitter is at Pratik X Patel. So it's P-R-A-T-I-K-X-P-A-T-E-L. Uh, I try to get my first name, but somebody had already taken it. So there's like a million critiques around the world. And my Instagram is the same handle, so all very convenient in one place. And then I'm decently active on LinkedIn just because I think it's a, it's a nice platform to reach people not in the field because your posts just sometimes pop up and somebody in advertising or general sales or whatnot, you know, it comes across their feed and, you know, they can communicate with you which i think is really cool and you know if, if you need to get a hold of me by email i don't mind putting my email out there it's uh the number seven critique so the number seven p-r-a-t-i-k the number seven at gmail.com perfect and like i said guys i will put this in the show notes critique i appreciate you coming on man like you didn't shy away from any of these questions and that's the point of the podcast and you know just to continue to unfurl you know, some of the stuff that gets swept under the rug, and I, I think you did it in a way that, again, if, if for the discerning listener, it is not hard at all to remove athlete, coach, and, and fill in what you do. I know that a good friend of mine's a firefighter, and he's like, we deal with this stuff at the station, we deal with this stuff, and, you know, there's people that say they deal with it in organizations, but thank you for not shying away from any of this. Thanks for being bold in your statements, and most importantly, honest with it, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again, man. Absolutely. Look forward to it. All right. Peace. Oh, you're still listening. Listen, I'm glad that you stuck around for a little bit. I want to make sure you guys know about the newsletter that I put out each month. I'm not somebody that tries to inundate uh, your inbox or anything like that, so you don't have to worry. You're not going to hear from me every day. I have a job and family responsibilities, much like all of you. But I do put out a newsletter that has helpful links. Uh, it'll showcase new episodes, new events. It'll tell you where I'm going to be and, and what I'm going to be speaking on. So if you're interested, make sure to go to the show notes or you can go to artofcoaching.com backslash start. Again, that's artofcoaching.com backslash start. Join the newsletter. It is the absolute best way to stay up to date with everything. I announce anything I do there first. It always gets announced through the newsletter first and then social media and everything else. So artofcoaching.com backslash start. And again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Appreciate you joining me.